for coming to our first Mayor's Disaster Council meeting of the year, the fiscal year, the first under the leadership of our new mayor, London Breed, um, and the first uh, for me as Director of Emergency, Department of Emergency Management. Appreciate you all being here today. Um, I'm going to calling the meeting to order, and I'm going to pass it on to Marjan to do some opening remarks. Thank you. Thank you, Mary Ellen, and thank you, everyone. Um, you know, I know there have been previous disaster council meetings, but this is a very special occasion for me and for the mayor. Um, it's really an honor to be here representing the mayor, but also to be here with all of you to be part of this critical conversation um, around keeping our communities resilient and prepared. And I know we'll be talking a lot about connected communities today. And, you know, as we all know, with San Francisco, it's not if a disaster will strike, it's really when a disaster will strike. And so by continuing the flow of information and also communication amongst all of us here who play a critical role in keeping our city safe and resilient, we will ultimately be prepared to protect and engage and keep our communities connected. Um, for me personally, in my household, I have people in there <laughs> from five years old to 75 years old, plus three pets. So it's very, you know, keeping, you know, looking at that through a larger community lens and, um, you know, how we prepare and how, you know, through whether it's 911 dispatch, 311, in-home supportive services, um, all of those and more are just so important to ensuring that San Franciscans, through preparation for a disaster, through moving through a disaster, through um, bouncing back and being resilient in the aftermath of a disaster uh, is really why we're here today and why this is such a critical conversation to have. And so the term and the theme of connected communities is really so much more than that. And I'm really honored to be here and to continue this conversation around um, how we can not only protect but also prepare and strengthen our citizenry around disaster preparedness. So thank you all for taking the time. Thank you, Marjan. I'm really excited to work with this council um, to prepare San Francisco to be resilient and connected. And I agree that connectivity and community really is the key to resiliency. And I think you're going to hear um, in the different presentations today about how we are really making great strides in that direction. So, um, so because we are challenged, um, as noted, by um, a disaster that will come at some point, um, those, those connections are going to be the difference between our success and failure. Um, so, um, and I know that everybody in this room is already committed to this, and I'm excited to hear about more innovations that you have in this area, and we'll hear a few today. Um, and part of this council really is from, about learning from each other. Um, I've been um, a member of the council probably for the last 15 years, so sat in the seats that you're in. And um, so I have, um, I've experienced that, and I have a sense of um, what I'm hoping will be an interesting and helpful presentation and use of our time during this meeting. So thanks again for all of your hard work. And we're going to jump into um, our first uh, presentation 
which is going to be from Nicole Bond, the director of the Mayor's Office on Disability. Um, Nicole and her team has, have been working closely with our team at DEM and others to enhance the integration of access and functional needs, AFN as you will hear, um, into our city's emergency plans. And this is something that has been needed for many years and I'm, I'm so happy that to, to learn of the progress really that I have over the last few weeks being at DEM. So um, Nicole, I invite you to begin the presentation and thank you so much for being here. Great, thank you everyone. I'm Nicole Bond again from Mayor's Office on Disability. And I'm gonna be talking today about our two efforts that the Mayor's Office on Disability helps to co-facilitate. One is the Disabilities and Access and Functional Needs Workgroup, and the other is the Age and Disability Friendly Task Force Implementation Workgroup. And so, and, and we're gonna be focusing on the emergency response strands of, of both of these efforts today. So first I'm gonna start with talking about the Disabilities and Access and Functional Needs work group. This is a work group that was established in March of 2017 as a way to make sure that we are addressing folks with disabilities and access and functional needs around the areas of emergency communication, transportation, evacuation, and sheltering. Our group meets every other month and consists of city agencies and uh, nonprofits and community-based organizations who all have stakeholders who, who can and would be impacted in the event of an emergency. Uh, next slide. <clears throat> so when we're talking about um, the disabilities and access and functional needs population, we're, um, we're talking about a really broad uh, group of folks. So we're talking about individuals who have developmental, intellectual, physical, or sensory disabilities, like folks who are blind or low vision, chronic uh, illnesses or conditions, and uh, folks who are uh, limited English proficient or non-English speaking, or older adults, children, those who are pregnant, living in institutional settings, low income, homeless, transportation disadvantaged, or from diverse cultures. So as you can see, that encompasses many, many of us here in the city. And these definitions were set forward um, for us through the California Government Code that talks about, at the state level, who, um, who qualifies as a disability and access and functional needs population. And so um, I'm gonna talk for a few minutes about some of our upcoming efforts, but in, um, in, before I get into that, when we started in 2017, we were working on some pretty specific things around making sure that our paratransit operations were, um, were updated and up to speed. We were looking at um, lessons learned from significant local emergency events, including the North Bay fires, and really starting to identify disability and access and functional needs population demographics by boards of supervisors uh, district. And then we are continuing those efforts and then moving forward for the, in our next uh, two-year plan, we are looking at some specific things around updating our processes and procedures for durable medical equipment access. So that's things like um, wheelchairs, electric wheelchairs, scooters, walkers, canes, um, functional medical equipment, oxygen tanks, that kind of thing. 
And what's happening for, for, with these um, devices for transport during an emergency event. We're also uh, continuing to work with our colleagues, especially in the fire department and in DBI, on policies and procedures pertaining to safe and effective access and functional needs evacuation, uh, especially in multi-story buildings, which was identified as something we need to address um, through the Asian Disability Friendly Effort, which I'll talk about in a second. And then we are also continuing our efforts citywide in mapping uh, the sharing of the um, disability access and functional needs facilities and resources throughout San Francisco, and especially paying attention to uh, deaf and hard of hearing and blind low vision populations that have, uh, that have been sometimes um, not intentionally left out of the conversation. We really want to make sure our effort is inclusive to the needs of those two specific populations along with everyone else. And finally, we're moving forward with um, develop, um, moving forward with the implementation of recommendations that came out of the Aging and Disability Task Force, which is what I will talk about next. So that leads to the next slide, which is about San Francisco's Age and Disability Friendly Effort, which has been a collaborative process to make sure San Francisco is inclusive to older adults and uh, folks with disabilities. And I'm uh, very proud that San Francisco is the first municipality in this effort which developed its framework through the World Health Organization to also be incorporating disability as part of that effort. So we're looking at our rapidly aging population in urban settings who are focused on community-based living and then looking at environmental impact also as part of the process. So on the next slide, we have a little bit about the World Health Organization framework for global age-friendly communities. So we base our eight domains on the eight domains that were defined by World Health. And right now, in, our, in the phase that we're in is implementation. So we, we are in the middle of a five-year planning process. The first year was a specific task force of 27 members and, and members of the public who then developed up to um, 200 recommendations across eight domains, which somehow we narrowed into uh, 24 uh, recommendations and goals for the next uh, three years. It was a very uh, exciting and thoughtful process to be a part of. So we're, again, in this effort, we're looking at seniors, folks with disabilities, those with age-related cognitive impairment, and also caregivers so that we can maintain um, our, uh, our collaborative strategy. So in the next slide talks about our eight domains, and I'm gonna be focusing in just a second on resiliency and emergency preparedness. Some of the other domains, though, that we're looking at that also had defined goals are around community support and health, engagement, technology, employment, housing, transportation, and outdoor spaces. Okay, so over the next, um, in the next slide, we'll see um, what the goals are for the next two years um, that were identified as first priorities by the task force, and we are now in the implementation phase um, of tracking these particular goals related to the age and disability friendly effort 
and emergency response and preparedness. So the first one that the group identified is to provide support and training for seniors and people with disabilities and caregivers on emergency preparedness. So one of the gaps, um, there were many assets that were identified, some of which I've talked about as part of the um, disability access and functional needs work, but some of the gaps that still exist are making sure that does everybody, do these specific populations, including caregivers, know what to do in the event of an emergency? So we are focusing on that. We also know that Alert SF is a strong tool to help our city maintain connection, and so we are trying to uh, prioritize outreach through a campaign to get as many folks as possible registered with Alert SF. And then finally, we're looking at um, ensuring that we have a strategy that's consistent for how we evacuate folks with mobility challenges in um, multi-story buildings. And as I mentioned, there, there are many uh, agencies that are part of this effort, and uh, these, are, these are the three where we're going to be beginning. And then um, in another year or so, we're going to be evaluating where we are, and then the process will continue to be iterative and um, we'll see what's next. So that's a very kind of brief uh, overview. I'm wondering if anybody has any questions. Just a request. Um, I serve on the Commission of Aging and Adult Services, and this might be a good presentation I know my colleagues would appreciate. So perhaps great. we could schedule some time for you to come in and present there. That sounds great. Thank you, Nicole. You're welcome. As Nicole is talking, um, I'm looking around the room and, and in learning more about the planning process. Um, while there's a few departments that are involved in the planning, I don't know that there's any of us that aren't involved in the response for, for the, around this issue. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really going to take all of us. I mean, everything from transportation, certainly HSA, 311. So um, it was you know, really important to share the information on this and appreciate everyone's coordination around it. So um, next, we are going to uh, hear from Captain Erica Artiseros from the fire department. Um, one of the most important programs around preparedness <laughs> and to ensure that we are prepare, prepared and resilient is NERT. Um, if everybody were NERT trained, we would hands down, in San Francisco, we would hands down be the most prepared city in the world. So um, Erica is the program coordinator. And um, her commitment, I've known and worked with Erica for years, is outstanding. Um, thank you for all you do. And so she's going to speak to us, and then we are going to watch a video. Thank you. So uh, I really um, appreciate the support and, and being included in this first meeting of the, uh, the new fiscal year. So um, thank you. I also want to say that I speak for the firefighters that stand behind me. and instruct uh, the community in this important training in NERT and for the administration of the fire department that has supported this program for 28 years. There are very few initiatives like that. Um, and so I, I like to remind the room that innovation and all that is great, but sometimes supporting the tried and true gets lost in looking for the new shiny thing. And so I want to remind all of us that this is the only training program that includes hands-on disaster skills to help individuals respond to a personal emergency, as well as the big one. 
And it's the oldest and largest element of community involvement in San Francisco to help create a resilient San Francisco. And so I know that term gets bounced around, and now I use it too, but uh, and this is really where the rubber meets the road in terms of an individual that lives in our city or works in our city, comes and gets very practical skills. Um, the basis of the program is 18 hours of training. It's a commitment on the part of our residents. And so I want to thank each and every one that has gone through that program, the residents that are out there watching um, on TV. Your commitment to 20 hours of training is very, very impressive. Um, beyond training, the real success of our program will be a robust retention program, where volunteers not just have 18 hours of training but, and leave, but where we have them involved in an ongoing basis. And that takes resources. And of course, in a room like this, that's where I'm going to ask for your investment, is in making sure that we not only rely on the fire department and me, one coordinator, to make this happen, but that collectively, this is an effort that we get behind, that we support, and, and we don't bounce ideas off of, but we give real investment for our city. Um, this will allow the resource to be the most robust and effective when we need NERT. So there are many of you in the room that I've worked with at Rec and Park, at Building Inspection, uh, with our police department and our co-cooperative um, effort to have alert volunteers that are not only NERT trained but know what the police department needs uh, to support them, with the water department where we are doing drinking water training, with Department of Public Health where we are training our volunteers in uh, psychological first aid and supporting survivors around them with the um, with the interfaith council where we're working with churches to um, to support us so so I'm very aware that I work with you in the room and and I want to thank you for that continued support and I want to let you know there's so much more to do to get us where we want to be the fact is that we have about one percent of San Franciscans trained in NERT, and if we could even push that to 5%, I mean, of course, the goal of everyone trained, I mean, that's so juicy and exciting. <laughs> but um, if we even could push it over to, to 5%, and that's gonna take a lot of people's effort rowing in the same direction. So I just really appreciate the, um, the opportunity. Um, I won't belabor you with what the actual is taught in NERT. I feel like many of you know that already, um, but just appreciate the support and, and look forward to working more with you. Thank you. Buffering. NERT came out of the Loma Prieta earthquake, and in 1990, right after the earthquake, neighbors asked to be shown what to do. I took NERT training because I came from the Midwest. We don't have earthquakes. I knew how to deal with snowstorms and a little bit about tornadoes. I had no idea what to do about earthquakes. Our neighborhood association decided this past year at our annual meeting that we needed to have more of a preparedness for our neighborhood. I heard about NERT through a flyer that I saw on a bulletin board, and I thought to myself, this is something that I never really thought about. There are consistent reminders of the fact that something could happen at any time, and it's incumbent on me to be responsible for myself and my family, my pet, and I want to make sure that in the event that there is an emergency, if there's a problem, that we all make it through without falling apart. Every year we host an annual 
activation of volunteers citywide and we choose uh, generally a schoolyard because it's a large open space and we set up seven or eight mock neighborhoods and assign teams to work together. It's real simple. To get to this point, you simply really need to take the class. It's about 18 hours or 20 hours of classwork, and we offer it throughout the city all, all year long. The whole point of this is to make your mistakes now. That way, when there is a real earthquake, then you are going to be prepared, and you're going to be like, you know, I've done this like five times. I know what to do. Okay. We got black smoke. Actually, the NERT training was so great because it taught us how to get prepared for ourselves, but also how to be prepared in our neighborhood. Personal preparedness is like, it's a journey. And the training is fun, and, and the people that take our training, they get to know our firefighters, they get to know people in our neighborhood. And that's really critical, is who you know after something happens. The class goes into how do you help your neighbors? How do you make sure that a building is safe to go into? And then how do you go in there and do search and rescue? How do you lift stuff off of people who are crushed? How do you make sure that the people who are the most injured get care immediately? People who can wait get set aside and then when first responders can, can help them. One thing I didn't realize was I probably wouldn't be able to communicate with anyone because cell phone service goes down and telephone service is overwhelmed. We found out very quickly that communications between the battalion stations and the staging area is a must. I think that's the critical piece for us, is making sure that we're in the loop, we know what's going on, the communication is flowing. We're training just under 2,000 people per year, and I'd like to have 3,000 people per year going through our training program. I think people should sign up for NERT because you'll never know how you're going to be able to respond in the case of a real emergency. But if you're more prepared, it gives you peace of mind, and it helps you help other people. We are privileged to get a grant from the state of California, and it allows us to train a cadre of the NERT volunteers to become a deployable resource. And so uh, by the end of April, we'll have 250 deployable volunteers that are credentialed and background checked, um, fully funded by the state, and able to deploy. We'll be able to share volunteers wherever the emergency happens, based on the Disaster Corps program. Becoming a NERT first is kind of the vehicle if you want to do more in a disaster. It's really nice to know that there are people I can rely on, people who will be helping out to make sure that for our little space of the universe, we're all going to be okay. How about that? Our little space of the universe. I think she nailed it. So our drill is coming up on October 20th, and all the NERT activities will be um, listed in the quarterly report for the Disaster Council. Um, if you'd like to go, if there's any role you want to play or come um, participate, um, we absolutely love that. Um, the, um, the last thing that I'll, I'll close with is that um, the training is free for anyone who lives or works here in San Francisco. There's no charge to the participants of the training program. So don't let that be a hindrance to joining us with our training program. Um, the NERT program doesn't have a minimum age. So um, accompanied by a parent or guardian up to the age of 14, and then 15, 16, and 17 can also participate with a parent's um, authorization signature. Um, but Jade was seven when she took the training with her mom. Are there other questions? Sorry.
Okay, thank you. Thanks so much. Um, so uh, our, next on our agenda, um, I'm really excited about this. Just this week on Wednesday, um, in partnership with Santa, San Francisco Unified School District, we had a big announcement, um, and which is a first of its time kind earthquake curriculum that is um, being introduced uh, to kids within the school district and their families around seismology. So it's part of the science curriculum and emergency preparedness. Um, one of the sort of stats about this I think is amazing. So this is curriculum that will hopefully be part of the school district for the next 20 years. And that means that we'll touch over 800,000 800, San Franciscans, kids and their families, which is, which is big numbers. Um, for anyone that has kids, um, when they are introduced something like this in school and they are instructed to come home and, and get their parents on board, it is really effective. Um, I've been on the other side of that. So I think it's great. We had a really um, excellent day. It was probably my favorite part of the week this week. Got to hang out with a bunch of seventh graders at AP Giannini. Um, and uh, you know, I just think it's um, such a way, talking about connectedness and how to get into the schools and also from a, from a perspective of equity, um, going through our public school district and touching every kid um, in the seventh grade is just, just a great innovative um, program for which I can take no credit, um, but my team who worked on this and the school district for the last three years to bring this to fruition, um, just really proud of you and kudos to everybody who had a part in it. So without further ado, we have just a short little clip of what happened on Wednesday. Today, we're um, highlighting the curriculum that was developed in collaboration between San Francisco Unified Teachers and science education experts at Stanford University. Uh, what's exciting about this curriculum is that across the city this year, seventh grade students are learning about earthquakes and how to be prepared for earthquakes. And they're doing that in a project-based way by thinking about where to develop and design a new music venue that will be earthquake safe, given the geologic system and the rock strata and the soil types. What the students were doing today is something called a card sort. Um, there were 18 items that um, were later revealed in the pamphlets that each of them got that are items that are going to be needed in order to survive 72 hours in a major disaster, usually an earthquake. And so I had them try to divide up the 18 items into things that were necessary, that were useful or nice to have, and things that every person should have, so personal items. And I think a lot of students were surprised at how their answers matched or didn't match what the city or recommends for writing out this period of time after an earthquake. I learned that um, a, can, a manual can opener is more essential than um, other items like um, personal documents. The purpose in the lesson was to open um, cans of food which you might store for emergencies and use in earthquakes. Some of the items that I placed um, in essential weren't actually essential, so I was kind of confused at first, but then I realized why they weren't essential. The kids are required to take the um, planning materials home and talk with their parents about what they can do and what they should do to prepare themselves um, to be resilient and um, safe after an earthquake. And this is just an amazing way that we are able to get into the community within San Francisco 
um, to educate our kids at a fairly early age and then share that with their, with their parents. This is exciting. We're rolling out this curriculum and it was developed in partnership with teachers and it's really taking advantage of our city as the classroom and opening the doors so that students are taking on real world challenges. And they're not just learning facts, they're, they're learning science so that they can apply them to real world challenges like how we prepare for earthquakes. Many thanks to the Unified School District for the partnership here, and also to SF um, uh, Gov TV because this happened on Wednesday and they had this ready for us today. So thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, any questions on that? Okay. Um, SFO annual exercise. Is anybody from Ivar, yes. Would you like to say a few words about the exercise th also this week? This is hot off the press. Yeah, uh, we had a great day yesterday. Uh, we did our annual exercise. Um, the requirement of the FAA is we conduct it every three years, but in, a, in an abundance of preparation, we do one every year. And last year was an active shooter exercise. This year, it was a, a water crash. Uh, departing aircraft, hitting a flock of birds, and then ditching in Seaplane Harbor uh, right off the runways there. So uh, I want a big, big thanks to the fire department um, and the police department. A great response and great leadership uh, from both. And DEM, thanks for coming down and supporting that as well and showing, um, uh, having that collaboration. And I think um, we had over 40 federal, state, and local agencies involved in this. Um, and we had over 20 watercraft respond from, from all parts of the community, Redwood, as far south as Redwood City and the Coast Guard, and uh, very successful and very integrated from a uh, mutual assist perspective. Uh, some of the things we wanted to exercise was, the, of, of course, the establishment of incident command and unified command, and then also the transfer of command over to Coast Guard, and uh, that went, uh, was very successful. We also have a new triage system that we developed post-Asiana, um, and we were able to exercise that as well, and that proved out to be a very um, uh, robust system because that was something we learned about the tracking of, of the victims and, the, and um, uh, making sure that we were able to have all the, the necessary information. And of course, Red Cross, thank you for being there and feeding everyone yesterday. We appreciate the Red Cross's support. So. Um, really, I was, I was out on the water in one of the boats, and it was very impressive just to see the amount of, of response and participation and that um, certainty that we can rely on um, the, the mutual assist partners we have in the community. So, um, yeah, it was a good day, beautiful day. Great. <laughs> so. Thank you. Thanks. Um, next, we are going to talk a little bit about Yellow Command. Um, so Yellow Command full, was a full-scale exercise that was activated um, last week, two weeks ago, um, that engaged all levels of emergency um, operations center. Uh, the objectives were to promote, or goals, promote collaboration and coordination between jurisdictions and agencies that will be needed during a catastrophic earthquake. Um, the regional impacts are estimated to be over 300,000 people requiring shelter in the Bay Area after a 7.9 on the San Andreas. So it is significant. 
Um, Kareen Batchier is here. She's from our UASI team, and she's going to talk about the, um, she was sort of the commander in chief of this whole thing for the region. She'll talk about the region um, and the relevance of Yellow Command. And then Doris Baroni of our team at DEM is going to talk about the activities that took place in San Francisco. Thanks. Thank you, Mary Ellen. Good morning. It's great to be here. Um, as Mary Ellen said, I'm the exercise director for the Yellow Command portion of the Urban Shield program. And it is our annual opportunity every year to exercise as a Bay Area region. So I'm looking at the regional picture and the 12 Bay Area counties uh, that the UASI footprint covers. And so we always take on a catastrophic event for a scenario. So as Mary Ellen said, a 7.9 earthquake uh, this year. And we practice coordination across counties when everybody is impacted by this catastrophic event. Um, so our intent this year, uh, the exercise was on September 6th. Our intent was to build local government capabilities to provide mass care and shelter services uh, for those 300,000 plus folks throughout the Bay Area region. And we had, um, across the Bay Area, we had 18 full-scale shelter operation exercises like you're seeing here in San Francisco. We had 55 local emergency operation centers and department operation centers activated throughout the 12 counties um, and close to 3,000 participants across the Bay Area. We had several state agencies, Cal OES, California Department of Social Services, um, California Public Health participating with us. They activated the state level mass care and shelter task force. So this was a very wonderful example in partnership um, and practicing together. And of course our partners at Red Cross and the Salvation Army, uh, the various humane societies and SPCAs around the Bay Area were all involved. Um, and you'll hear from Doris the specific areas that San Francisco focused on, but across the Bay Area, we were looking at integrating medical services in shelters, sheltering animals, um, inclusive accommodations for folks with access and functional needs, public information and messaging from the shelter uh, about the sheltering opportunities, shelter staffing from local government resources, and then of course, coordination of resources throughout the entire Bay Area. Um, what you're seeing up there is the is is just kind of B-roll of the activation at St. Mary's yeah. here in San Francisco and at the EOC during the drill. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Corinne. Um, so as part of Yellow Command, um, San Francisco participates every year. Um, this year, um, in partnership with the Human Services Agency and Department of Public Health, um, we activated a, a local shelter, uh, St. Mary's Cathedral. You've seen it on the screen. Um, and what, what we, our goal was to test the city's internal ability to independently set up and manage a shelter here in San Francisco. Um, and so that was our, our, real, um, our real big goal. The second piece was integrating um, medical services or medical treatment area into the cathedral, which is a, a new concept. Department of Public Health has really taken the lead in, in putting this together. And so it's something that we were excited to, to test and activate for the exercise. 
Um, and so uh, in addition to the shelter, we activated the Human Services Agency's Department Operations Center as, as well as the Department of Public Health's Department Operations Center and our San Francisco Emergency Operations Center. And the focus was to support any needs, so personnel, equipment, or social service needs that were coming up from the shelter activity. So that's really the role kind of up at the DOC and the EOC level is to help coordinate and fill those gaps. So that's what we were doing during the exercise as well. Um, in terms of the activation um, of the shelter, we, um, so St. Mary's, for those of you that may not know, is one of over 100 pre-identified and vetted shelters that we have here in San Francisco. So we chose St. Mary's um, because of its um, size and also because it allowed us to fit the medical portion into the exercise, which we really wanted to exercise. Additionally, we staffed the shelter with um, city staff, which in the time and event would be DSWs. So we had HSA staff managing the majority of the shelter, with DPH staff managing the medical needs area, um, and it was really a great collaboration and a great test as to how we co-lead or co-manage a shelter here in San Francisco. Um, and one of the highlights is that we had over 80 volunteers participate as survivor actors for the shelter. So one of the things that we um, practiced at the shelter site is um, the, or was the ability to process our survivors. Um, and so we reached out to Salesforce, the Red Cross, the Salvation Army, the Interfaith Council, um, as well as some of our groups with um, the Access and Functional Need community, um, and Nextdoor, which was really um, actually where we got a lot of volunteers from. And so we had over 80 people come out and um, act as survivor actors. Um, they received an orientation. Uh, we provided some education around what disaster response and sheltering looks like in San Francisco, um, and I think that that was a really valuable piece of the exercise, was providing that education, that awareness to our, our city um, residents. Um, the last piece um, is that we were able to um, train our HSA and DPH shelter staff um, on site. It was a just-in-time training. They had received some background about what they were doing, but really we focused on how do we train our staff in the time of an event to be able to provide the services to run the shelter. Um, and that was a really, really great outcome. Um, next year, Yellow Command will focus on transportation. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to moving over to the transportation, working with many of you on that project as well. Thanks. Thank you guys, thanks so much. Um, and just to highlight, this was really meant to test our ability and our capability in the first days after an emergency, assuming we get no outside help. So just to highlight how critical that is, um, we do depend on Red Cross, I know Red Cross is here somewhere, and we depend on you guys very much, but we know that it's gonna take some time to get that up and running. So thanks Trent for, you know, you guys were big players in this. Next, we're moving on to Fleet Week. Next week, we're all very excited about it. This is. Jill Raycroft, go ahead. Great, thank you, Mary Ellen. Um, I think that the, the great theme that we can look at through this and as what Mary Ellen just said is, the city and county of San Francisco will do fairly well for the first three to four days. After that, we're gonna need a, need a lot of help. I think the efforts at SFO, the work that Doris and Corinne have done around Yellow Command San Francisco and region-wide is essential. Uh, the work that I do around the San Francisco Fleet Week exercise program is looking at that seven-day point. So we work with the Department of Defense in the defense support of civil authorities construct, meaning that when we have a federally declared disaster in San Francisco, the Department of Defense can come up from San Diego and assist us. 
So this is the eighth year of our program. It's definitely grown. I've talked to colleagues throughout the country. And you know, very few cities actually run exercises for the Department of Defense. So I think that is kudos to us that we can sort of tell them what we need and work with them side by side. Um, Mike Dayton, our deputy director, stresses the importance of mutual aid all the time. I think it's really important as well. I think practicing it, if you can see this photo down in the lower corner, um, we've got folks in civilian uniforms, we've got fire, police, we also have folks in military uniforms. Uh, the Bay Area does not have a lot of military personnel working in it right now, so this is a great opportunity for us to work with them directly. Uh, this is a landing craft utility in the middle. This comes out of our Navy ships, and this delivers trucks from the Marine Corps. Down here in the lower corner, this is Pier 96. So Pier 96 is out in um, the southern part of the city. And this is actually one of the federal staging areas outlined in the Bay Area Earthquake Plan. So this year on Monday, October 1st, we will be exercising our federal staging area as well as our fueling requirements and needs. So through leadership with Brian Strong, with the Lifelines Council, we have created a fuel working group and we've worked through a lot of these issues of what does a blue sky day of fuel look like in San Francisco? It's fairly good. When you put the ground shaking scenario in there, it changes pretty dramatically. Nick Majeski from GSA has been a great partner in developing our fuel planning. We know that the Department of Defense will need to help us with that, as well as state, federal, nonprofit, and private sector partners. So again, this picture is highlighting that whole community approach to all of our disaster planning in the city. Uh, the capstone event for the Fleet Week program is our Senior Leaders Seminar. It is on October 3rd and 4th. It's an emergency management conference with high-level folks from all over the country discussing really important response, best practices, and challenges, as well as items that we can work on together. Thank you. Thanks, Jill. Um, so we're just, I'm just going to say a few words about our um, Hurricane Florence uh, deployment team and, um, and uh, just to say that they, I just got a note that they have um, arrived home safely. So Vicki, I don't know if you heard that or you guys, okay, good. Um, and I want to thank um, Kevin, Kevin McConnell was sort of our lead on that from the Sheriff's Department and we, you know, he, he was just fantastic and it was kind of a, a young group that went, went with him and it was um, wonderful to have his, his sort of tenure and experience and to, to lead them um, as they were there. Um, I just want to say that like in general, um, it is such a great opportunity. There's no better training ground than to deploy our staff to provide mutual aid when these incidents happen and I'm very appreciative to the departments um, that sent folks, so DPH, the Sheriff's Department, Fire, Police, and um, Nubia Mendoza from our team. Um, you know, people there in North Carolina still tens of thousands uh, remain without power, um, and uh, our team really learned quite a bit, and we're looking forward to their lessons learned when they come, when they come back. Um, we really encourage um, all of our city departments to um, have your uh, employees who can sign up for training become certified so that not only will they be here to work for us and within your own department within the emergency management structure, but to deploy um, 
Erica talked about the NERT deployment um, capability we have that is huge. So not only do we want to be good partners to the region and frankly to other states within, within the United States, but um, all of that helps us and builds our capability here in San Francisco. So I just wanted to stress that and look forward to seeing everybody in person soon. Um, next, I uh, just wanted to mention that um, we are almost at, we'll be at a year in December of our Healthy Streets Operations Center. Healthy Streets is now um, working seven days a week out of the Emergency Operations Center uh, on Turk Street. And it is a great example of how emergency management can be applied to um, ongoing or planned events. Um, we have, um, it is a very busy place. This is just a couple, one of our dispatch, that's a DEM dispatcher sitting across from a DPW dispatcher. Um, this has increased uh, basically visibility of the EOC. We have people coming and going there all the time and I think that um, HSOC has been you know, fairly successful, very successful in addressing the very complicated issues um, of healthy streets in San Francisco. So we'll look forward to reporting back after the new year um, of a better assessment of the achievements of that group. And now I'm gonna turn it over to Brian Strong of the Office of Capital Planning and Resilience. Thank you, good morning everyone. Um, and I think someone can just move the, uh, thanks, okay, thanks Erica. Um, Brian Strong with the Office of Capital Planning and Resilience. Uh, thank you very much. I think you have information sort of on various aspects of our program, but today we wanted to talk about the soft story uh, man mandatory retrofit because uh, it's timely. Uh, we just completed, it's a program that was started in 2013. The last deadline was September 15th for the final tier. So we had four different tiers in the program. The way it works is you have a permit deadline and then you have two years to get the work done. So this has really been uh, a joint effort across several different departments, but I, I wanna really recognize Tom Huey and the Department of Building Inspections. They're the ones that are really implementing this. Uh, I think my office helped develop the policy and are working closely with them on it. But we're, we're really, um, this is really something that we all should be proud of. This is, this is the, the compliance rates that we're doing in San Francisco are much, much higher than any other parts of the country um, or of the state that have similar programs. And I should mention that this is really protecting um, 112,000 residents in San Francisco. So it's, it's a considerable number. It's going to make them up to 30 times safer, the homes that they live in um, or the apartment units that they live in 30 times safer. Um, having done this work. Can you go to the next slide? Thanks, so these are some numbers. They may be a little hard for you to read over there, but this, this shows, you know, we've, we've actually addressed 3,400 buildings, the deadlines have passed for them um, that have complied with, with the various tiers. Uh, up to tier three, we're at a 98% compliance rate. Tier four, that was just, again, due a couple weeks ago, we're at 80% compliance. I should say that the compliance numbers jumped dramatically the week before the deadline. Uh, so people are paying attention to these things. And the picture in the, in the right there was from a September 6th um, press event that we had. And it was with the, United, with the USGS talking about um, the 150th anniversary of 
a major Hayward earthquake, uh, earthquake on the Hayward Fault, where actually the records show damage in San Francisco and some of the damage we would expect to soft story type structures. Uh, there weren't a lot of homes in the East Bay, so it was interesting that they did have some records of damage um, really just in, in our area. And it reminded us of the importance of, of again, doing this work. Um, you know, Director Huey, um, uh, my boss's city administrator, Naomi Kelly, um, both were there, made presentations, and then Trent, we really appreciate it. The reporter clearly found you. And, and I think the comments um, about the importance of this to, to making sure that people can stay in their homes to our affordable housing um, was, was really important. Um, and in, in fact, actually, if we go to the next slide, I can mention that you know this is, a lot of this is about housing preservation as well and affordable housing preservation. We know that these tend to be, these are five plus unit buildings across the city. Um, these are all rent controlled units, so we know that they're vital to affordable housing to making sure that people and communities can stay. And building owners um, have invested actually so far $176 million into making these improvements. Uh, and at the end of the program, they will have invested $383 million approximately. So again, these are significant uh, improvements. These are significant sacrifices um, and, you know, that people are making. I guess I should say sacrifices. Make improvements that they're making toward their better, toward their future, and toward protecting their homes uh, and protecting the homes of their residents. Uh, they, you know, we also a part of this program, and we're seeing about 60 to 70 percent of these applications are also adding additional ADUs or accessory dwelling units. So again, this is an opportunity where we're not just preserving housing, but we're also adding to it. So that, that, that is, those units are going to become, you know, rent-controlled units, part of the house, or part of the, the, um, the, the units that are in the buildings today. Uh, and again, we think that's a really important um, important benefit. Next slide. Uh, just to remind people a, a little bit, and you know, this is part of the Community Action Plan for Seismic Safety, which was completed in 2010, and it's a 30-year look forward on how we can make improvements. You know, we, we often we have our capital plan that talks about sort of publicly owned infrastructure. This is really where we're getting into what we need to do to address privately owned infrastructure. Uh, in the city. As we know, uh, estimates are 85% of the infrastructure in across our country is privately owned. So these are important. And it feeds into some of the other work that we're doing, you know, I, I think coming forward around private schools, around tall buildings. A lot of you have been hearing stuff about tall buildings and we're, we're going to be coming up with a, with a comprehensive study of earthquake effects on tall buildings. Uh, there's a facade ordinance that we will be working closely with with Tom on uh, in the next couple of years to make sure we address facades that potentially could be vulnerable in earthquakes. Um, and then I should also mention on the community side, you know, again, working uh, with, with the NeighborFest program, with the Neighborhood Empowerment Network, and those folks, there are 40 block parties um, that are scheduled for this year. 26 of them, I'm sorry, 24 of them have taken place. Uh, there's a big one, one of the, we have three or four that are really large, and uh, the biggest one is in the Bayview, and that's scheduled for October 6th, I'm sorry, yes, for October 6th, 
where we expect to actually have several hundred people from the community come together and have a block party, but also talk about resilience um, and earthquake preparedness. Uh, and Erica and her team and other folks will be there uh, from a lot of your departments to, to engage with the community. So with that, I'm happy to take any questions and move along. We're moving quickly today. No questions, we can go into roundtable. So if anyone has any announcements um, about activities that your department's working on. Um. Yeah. There's enough things we're working on, but um, three things. One, with the um, the elderly and the, the the elderly care facilities, especially, we do have a lot of that information where they're at as far as info on the CAD. Um, it would be great if we can get more of that, especially the permanent housing. It's easier to track where you know you have someone. Um, Something like where my grandmother's at is kind of tougher because it's a it's a regular residence where they have a license and they have six people in there. We have to make sure we get those addresses in as well. The harder part would be at. Um, like in a, an apartment building with 20 apartments and there's one apartment where it has a person that needs help out. Those are called temporary premise information that can go on the CAD. And the problem is if somebody moves, it changes, but that, that needs to be updated. And I don't know if your, your department can help with that or not, but that would be great. Or if there's GIS mapping that we could work on as far as putting more of those buildings, if there's some way to integrate the maps. I think we talked about that before, Brian, integrating GIS maps and as far as DBI and different types of construction. Um, secondly, we are concerned about, there's this, um, Tom might know more about this, this um, type four um, heavy timber construction that's coming down from the national. We're, we're concerned about that. We're already concerned about the Mission Bay type building where we had the big fire, where you have two stories of cement type one construction, and you have five stories of type five, which is wood, lightweight construction. Those are great, when they're being constructed, they're dangerous because if they catch on fire, there's a lot of radiant heat. If there was wind that day, we would have lost a lot more than just that building. Um, so we're concerned about them when they're under construction. When they are constructed, they're sprinklered. So we have less of a concern then, but during the earthquake, the water won't be working. So our plan is if there is a conflagration, we're gonna have lines of demarcation. And these, build, these types of buildings, if they have no water, our lines of demarcation can get jumped over. Um, so that's a concern of ours, but that ship has already sailed. I'm not here asking to say just do type two buildings, Tom, so don't worry about that. Um, but we are concerned what's coming down the, the pipe, and I'm not, it's not gonna come right tomorrow, but these heavy timber buildings, which can go up to 85 feet and 165 feet. Now this is, uh, this is, we don't want this in San Francisco at all. And I know that the developers might, but that would even make our lines of demarcation that much narrower. So that's something this, body should be concerned about. And thirdly, I we've talked with PG&E. I don't know if PG&E is in the house. Are they part of this council? No? So there's two transmission lines, main transmission lines that come in, gas transmissions, but we're most concerned about. We like to work with them. So there is, you know, the, the mechanism is in place where 15 seconds, you get the 15 second alert, the earthquake's coming. If we know that a certain magnitude of earthquake is coming, in 15 seconds. We want them to shut those transmission lines down. We'd much rather just deal with building collapse 
and not possible conflagrations. And that if, if the conflagrations happen, the resilience is going to get pushed that much far backward. So there's just three things that I, as a deputy chief, am concerned about. Thanks. I think it is. Are there any members of the public for public comment? Okay. Seeing none, um, we, two minutes early. we are two minutes early, so I'll take that. Uh, <laughs> our next meeting is in December. Um, okay. Oh, just in closing, I just want to. <laughs> Great meeting. Um, I think that what we heard reported, I mean, I just can't express our gratitude enough um, to all of you for taking the time. I think that these periodic meetings really serve as the communication catalysts that they are, and I think really underscored what we came here to talk about. I mean, it was just so wonderful to kind of hear from um, everyone and understand that we are integrated. Um, and that we are dedicated to the same goal of connected communities and to see just also through the presentations just how everything we're doing um, is, is, is for all sectors and all San Franciscans um, who live and work here and it really just transcends um, um, uh, even age <laughs> and participation level and that we're all working together uh, to really make our city resilient and prepared um, uh, uh, and engaged. So thank you, thank you everyone. Um, one final announcement for hopefully everyone in this room doesn't need it for members of the public that may be watching. Um, a reminder to sign up for Alert SF to get all the information that you need for day-to-day for -day information in emergencies, but certainly when we have a significant event, this will be a way that we can communicate with you. And I hope to see many of you at Fleet Week next week. Have a great day.